0: So stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No, Stop talking to me in the
1: braking zone. Guaranteed to be more genuine than an episode of Judge Rinder. Welcome to episode forty of Motorsport One
2: Hundred and One. See, You've You are the world champion.
1: And that was me dropping the world's greatest inside joke. But, um, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't watch Judge Rinder. <laughs> yeah, of course. That, 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 that totally explains everything. I'm more of a Judge <laughs> Judy man myself. Um, anyway, <laughs> welcome to episode 40 of Motorsport 101, ladies and gentlemen. I am your friend and neighbor, Mr. Andre Harrison. And with me as ever... Uh, first up, representing America, as always, and I'm guessing
2: he's very proud of Connor Daly's new livery, Mr. Ryan King. Yes, yes, Stars and Stripes, amazing, on Connor Daly, even more awesome. Yes, yes it is. Shout out to Elizabeth
0: on that one, as always. And of course, representing Swanley, we have Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. <sighs> I feel like that intro was like our version of that Top Gear skit where it's all about nicking everyone's back to the studio. You know where they're like, oh, I've always wanted to say this, back to the studio. That's my (laughs) line." Exactly. It's basically what just happened. But yeah. Which my basic response to that is, is uh, Sotheby,
1: you bastard, I'm going to feed you into your own machine. Um, (laughs) But... um, also, Gizzy.
0: hello, Lewis.
2: Yes. He's the <laughs> Lewis. Witch.
0: He yeah. is my
1: bike live radio husband and long-time partner in crime. As I should really call him a long-suffering partner in crime. But he's making his second appearance, his, his first appearance in 21 episodes. Welcome back, Mr. Lewis Sudeby. Or was really like to call him, Lewis Sudeby. Hello, sir.
3: Yes, yeah, It's, it's <laughs> an absolute pleasure Please. to be here. Yeah, Thank yeah. you for having me on again.
1: Yeah, Louise de the Derby is back. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm referring to, listen to the very first episode of Bike Live. You can you can you can go back and find it. I kind of made a dog's dinner of being an anchor. Uh, I, 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 I like to think I've come a long way since then, but uh, it was August 2014, and I was Dre's still very, first well, and to this day only hosting episode of Bike Live. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's probably for the best in the long run, quite frankly, um, because the is pretty much the glue that holds Bike Life together at this point, alongside all the sexually window and whatnot but uh if you if you if you like
0: the sound of lewis's jib feel free to listen to bike live every friday on downforce radio um it's you it's, get away with that plug because i like the show as much as you guys yes. i'm like i'm like bike lives cheerleader at this point yes i'm like i just walk up to random people in the street and go do you like motorcycles of any form listen to bike live it's really good <laughs> damn it like, of <laughs> he's walking i should wear sandwich boards like son of, son of me, johnson's like johnson's like he's
1: free promotion it's fantastic
0: <laughs> yeah, but, yeah keep uh, it going
1: yeah, but you have an absolutely. That's only real, like,
0: yeah, thanks. Just keep that going. Just yeah. don't come near me. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I'll, I'll listen if like I'll listen if, if you just stop pestering me. Uh, but <laughs> basically, this this is going to be an absolutely loaded show because in case you absolutely didn't hear the news, apparently some eighteen-year-old Dutch-Belgian hybrid won a Grand Prix this past weekend. I don't think anybody's talked about it that much. I, I'm surprised it's gone so under the radar. No, arena. I was too busy
0: watching Judge Rinder reruns. Yeah,
1: clearly, um, <laughs> Max. Yeah, some kid called Max Verstappen. Um, he made his debut for Red Bull this time around, and I think he actually won. He held off that Kimi Raikkonen fella. I, I, I mean. I guess we've. I've heard
0: to, of these I, people. I can't really put. Are they as good as Simon Pagano?
1: Maybe. I don't know. Like, the, the, the guy's clearly a phenom, and you know, all hell the Church of Verstappen at this point.
2: So, 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 so you're so you're telling me that this Max kid has got just as much grit as that kid Chase Elliott. Mm. Cause, cause, no, uh, that's, that's my job king.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm the one who brings to see the how, waiting to around see here. how
1: long it would take for Chase Elliott to get mentioned. The sweepstakes winner was literally 4 minutes and 59 seconds. Fantastic.
0: You know what's hilarious as well? Chase Elliott finished third in the NASCAR race at Dover. I was really hoping he'd win the NASCAR Sprint Cup race, just so I could be like, "Yeah, is he a bit like Chase Elliott then?" Oh yeah, he won his first race today as well.
1: Just to prove a point, as always. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, we'll be talking about Max Verstappen winning the Spanish Grand Prix in spectacular fashion, and why it might be the race of the year so far in what's already been kind of a crazy F1 season as it is.
0: We'll be talking about about the Spanish Grand Prix as a potential race of the year. Just illustrates how the world has literally fallen off its axis in terms of Formula this 1 this season's
1: year. been good China was entertaining what is going on <laughs> but uh, Verstappen wins lol we'll talk about that we'll be talking about the impact where that's concerned as well and how this race had absolutely nothing to do with the two Mercedes taking each other out on lap one no not in the slightest that happened too oh my goodness yeah apparently it's easy to forget that uh, we had the bit, the most controversial crash of the season so far and maybe most controversial crash of this hybrid era so far as uh, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton collided and uh, we've all got our capes up regarding defensive driving we'll be, so we'll be talking all about that as always and uh, yeah it was quite a heated discussion on, on the interwebs regarding that and uh, also we'll be talking about Ferrari and their season so far and I think it's something that's definitely worth talking about because a lot of people Say, including me, the totally not salty, uh, <laughs> totally not salty for Sebastian Vettel fans. Thinking, God damn it, did Ferrari leave another win on the table again. Uh, so that's probably not going to be ideal for my self-esteem at this point so we'll, 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 we'll be talking about that as well we're moving on to IndyCar and we'll be talking about Simon Pagano, who for all intents and purposes is on fire his his second consecutive pole his third consecutive win and he absolutely dominated the Grand Prix of Indianapolis despite a late field jumble that uh, put Connor Daly up the front of the field Pagano took a comfortable win in the end and He might be the best pound-for-pound racer on the planet right now. He's been absolutely sensational. and we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about that said reshuffle. And the fact that the race had quite a lot of interesting midfield stories, such as Connor Daly being in the lead, the comeback of Helio Castroneves, Graham Rahal coming through the field, arguably one of the best performances we've seen from Charlie Kimball um, in his career, and the return to the podium of, of James Hinchcliffe after a almost a year to the day since his tragic accident that nearly killed him this time last year. And also we'll be talking about the Indy 500 entry list coming out and. uh yeah, Grace Auto Sport seemingly not there. Sad face. And we'll be talking a little bit more about F1. We'll be talking a bit more about how the uh, off-camera, the Renaults collided, and Kevin Magnussen was kind of in trouble. We'll be talking a bit about Dirty Air. We'll be talking a bit more about the MotoGP rider market as the field is seemingly starting to take some shape now With uh, uh, after suddenly making the argument about which Ducati rider is most worthy of a seat. Turns out they've made their minds up quite quickly. I'll give you a hint. It's not the maniac. I can't say uh, I made a convincing case for any of them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Despite the unconvincing arguments from all members of the Ducati camp. Shout out to Chaz Davis. But uh, essentially, yeah, we'll be talking about that. And we'll be talking about the dangerous precedent that Formula 3 has set by excluding Nelson Piquet Jr. from taking part ahead of its Grand Prix of Macau and over in Power as well. And we'll be talking all about that as well. So all that and much, much more on a absolutely stacked Motorsport 101 this time around and uh, King let's let's cut to the chase here Max friggin Verstappen, 18 years old has just won a Grand Prix um, What
0: where do we even start with this? <laughs> oh, <laughs> what can I just say King before you make your point the only note I've got my notes in front of me for this episode the only note I've got written down for the show so far is Max Verstappen is the second coming of Jesus Christ incarnate all bow down unto the altar of youth And trust me, that's still more balanced and less hyperbolic than 90% of the media covering his victory on Sunday.
2: (laughs) Like, like we all need to pause and, like, just look around and realize that three years ago, Max Verstappen was still driving go-karts. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Honestly, I, I like the hashtag that Will Buxton started. It was a hashtag of when I was 18. And it was like a case of, well, when Max Verstappen was 18, he was winning F1 Grand Prix. What were you doing? If I remember rightly, I was muffing my A levels, playing far too much Gran Turismo Four, mm. and helplessly, haplessly flirting with girls. Yeah, and 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 now I'm 24, and he's. I'm, I'm still doing nothing
1: those. Nothing's changed. Yeah. Nothing's
0: changed. <laughs> 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 I set myself up for that one. Didn't yeah, I? nothing has changed five years later.
1: But um, <laughs> yeah, God, I was 18. I was yeah, that was last year of A levels for me. First year of university. I was. I I I, I had. I had a i had a i think i had a prostate exam on my 18th birthday which didn't exactly help either um so welcome to adulthood Ray. and uh yeah you can (laughs) you can probably make all the jokes in the world regarding that but
0: uh yeah the comments section below (laughs) go for it
1: (laughs) i can't believe i just said that um but yeah there's there's no getting around this is this is ridiculous and and it's 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 just like the second coming of what was already a ridiculous story regarding the Kvyat Verstappen swap of last week. We we already talked about that at length last time around and we all generally kind of shit on it for the most part, but we all kind of also said that it was inevitable that this was going to happen eventually anyway, more unlikely, mm-hmm. they don't want to lose a golden prospect. And well, first race out of the box, he goes and wins the damn thing. Um, it, if, if that's not a case of instant, um, vividification for a, what was a controversial decision at the time? Um, <laughs> I don't know what is. And, uh, I mean, Lewis, what have you made of the whole weekend? Because I mean, it started out on Friday with, well, on Thursday with, with Kvyat and the press conference. And, like, that was a that was a pretty crazy scene, as it was, given that um, Kvyat, I think, from what I gathered at least, seemed to take the situation in his stride, so to yeah. speak, because he was sat next to Verstappen on the press conference. The man has just taken his job. And there he is out there joking about it. Alonso's breaking the mood, and then uh, uh, Kvyat breaks out the old Game of Thrones reference. So, uh, <laughs> I mean... Yeah. I it's thought he handled that just
3: about as well as anybody could have handled a situation like that, given that he much. was sat next to the guy that's just taken his job. Every question, with the exception of two or three uh, from the floor in that press conference, was directed to either Daniel, Max, or both. Um, and Daniil looked as if he was prepared to either A, punch the journalist in the face, or B, mm-hmm. cry his eyes out, or both. Um, and yeah, I thought he handled it way better than any of us had any right to handle it. And yeah, part of me did think of Kvyat when Verstappen won the race because Kvyat did say after the race. "Hey, yeah, I, I could have done that. If I was still in that Red Bull, I could have won that Grand Prix too. Um, and given that he's, he's not exactly done the worst job alongside Ricardo, I know he's had his, his bad races and he's had his good races. But if Kvyat had had a good race in a Red Bull last Sunday, that win could have been there for the taking for him too. But um, as you say, Red Bull will say the end justifies the means and the fact that Max won the race vindicates their decision
0: somebody mentioned on twitter about how you're going to see uh kviat turn up in monaco with very puffy uh, very puffy eyes and having consumed rather many tubs of ice cream yeah. you going to be sat at home right now just watching old films just in like a duvet fort just like you know
1: what it is you, you hate you, my life have you, you, you ever, ever seen that scene in the film the night professor where Sherman has a really bad date and he ends up just on his couch in his old training gear With an enormous tub of ice cream and he just downs an entire packet of Skittles. That's probably Daniel Kvyat right now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: but I just want to go back. I I just want to go back to what Lewis said before, where Red Bull feel justified because they feel like the end, the end justified means. Where I feel like the end could have been achieved by different means. Like Kvyat was by no means slow last Sunday. Daniel Kvyat scored the fastest lap of the weekend. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: Exactly, he he was fast, and he, yeah, he didn't get any points. He finished he finished in thirteenth place on the weekend, but the speed was always there. And again, it, it's almost like double jeopardy for um, Kvyat because Carlos Sainz had arguably his best F1 drive to date by finishing in sixth place. He had a man, had a fantastic weekend, Carlos Sainz. One that he was, it was nice that Sainz almost had a weekend where he was I mean, he wasn't in anybody else's real shadow in the Red Bull umbrella. But of course. Verstappen goes
0: and (laughs) wins the damn thing but um the entire world was in Max's shadow let's be real here
1: yeah I mean I, I mean I was watching it at work at the time and I was just sitting here thinking Oh, my God. You could have gotten 33 to 1 odds on Verstappen winning the race.
3: And I think the entire world, certainly those behind the microphone, wanted Max Verstappen to win that Grand Prix. I remember watching qualifying on the Saturday and throughout Q1 and Q2, Max was the quicker of the two Red Bull drivers. He was ahead of Ricardo in Q1 and Q2. And you could hear the giddiness building up amongst oh, yeah. the commentators as Max was on the verge of of, of qualifying Ricardo, which, of course, didn't happen. Ricardo out-qualifying by about 04 Uh, in Q3. Um,
0: And yeah, it just seemed as if the media were desperate for that kind of result and in the end, they got their wish. Well, let's be fair. I was watching the Channel 4 coverage and I swear to God, I thought Ben Edwards was was going to explode when Verstappen (laughs) came across the line. Mm -hmm. It was literally a case of, I cannot believe what I'm about to say. And I'm like... I kind of can. I've, I, I was. <laughs> it was quite funny because I had friends of mine messaging me, going, "Why are you being such a grumpy ass, Adam? <laughs> why just be happy for snapping one? What? Why you just got to be so cynical about it?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm just. I'm just the one guy who's not on the speeding hype train about it. I, I'm not sure why. I think it was more like we all knew this kid was good. Yeah, we all knew this kid was probably going to win a race soon. I think I'd already kind of accepted it. And as soon as he got into the lead." And I hate to be that spoil sport. We'll come back to this later. Mm. When you get in the lead at Catalunya, no one really passes you. Not even Raikkonen with a technically faster car. He said it after the race. He said, I kind of couldn't pass because of dirty air. Sorry about that. I know that's kind of the spoil sport thing to say, but I was kind of like, well, I don't think he's getting past Verstappen. So here we go. Brace yourselves. Get ready to bow down before the Father Yoss. Son, Max, and the Holy
2: Horner. God, God, God bless the Holy Horner. And, and I mean, like, the, the, only reason, the only people who could have overtaken Max after that point were the two people who gave him the lead in the first place. The two Mercedes. <laughs> um, or we'll
0: Ricciardo and Vettel, but they went on a different strategy altogether. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And
1: again, we'll get to that later on. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a case where... The the faster drivers were seemingly put on the slower strategy. Where I think from what we've seen so far this season, the I mean the Pirelli tire changes have definitely shaken things up in the field and they've opened the, the door to much more strategical uh, processes. But ultimately, it's still a, a Catalunya, especially, is a track where track position is king, and. If, if you're in front on on the track, you should do whatever you can to stay out in front. Make sure you come out in front of the other guy, no, no matter what it takes. And that's the alternate two-stop plan that Verstappen was put on. Seemingly, it was, it was too big a reach to do it, but they were able to pull it off. And yeah, that's how Verstappen essentially got the win in a f- straight fight between Red Bull and Ferrari. And uh, shout out to Daniel Ricciardo for uh, suggesting a game of ping-pong with Sebastian Vellel afterwards. That was fun. But, um, <laughs> I mean... The impact of this King is kind of crazy. I mean, he's 18 years old. He's the youngest race winner in F1 history. And given the way the super license is right now, that record might not ever be beaten now because of the fact he's 18 and I think 200-something odd days. So, I mean, unless a golden prospect gets a top-level seat straight away like Lewis Hamilton did in 2007, um... I can't see this record ever being beaten,
2: but just how ridiculous is this for F1 going forward? <laughs> oh, God, probably, like, the most notable thing to me was Monday morning, my Twitter mentions exploded because I think at the end of last season-ish, I put out a tweet because there was, like, an article going around saying that Zandvoort wanted to revive the Dutch Grand Prix, and I was, like, of course, excited, but I didn't know how they were going to do it. Monday morning, like, like... 10 random Dutch people were retweeting that tweet. Yeah,
1: it's like, oh, because we, we got a Dutch winner now, so let, let, let's bring the Grand Prix track back and let's get Verstappen a home Grand Prix. <laughs> even though he's not even that Dutch. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, that seems like fun. But um, yeah, I mean, the impact is obviously, I mean,. I would say like it's going to be big but this season's already been ridiculous and we've already had so many narratives and storylines flow through it already Meroni what five races in um we've had obviously the rise of nico rosberg and in, in his, his four grand prix wins hamilton's now gone winless in his last nine which is something that we just did not expect when he was on an absolute tear <laughs> the middle of last season that you know next thing you know verstappen's won a race this year before hamilton has <laughs> and, and now he's gone nine races winless a la valentino rossi for instance but um oh i mean where like i said it's, it's hard to even get a full grip on this and again the internet reaction has been absolutely ridiculous people have been hailing him a future world champion I've been told instructions at work on how to translate bets that are saying Verstappen could be a world champion before the year of 2020. That's one on Skybet, by the way. You can get even (laughs) money right now on Verstappen being world champion before the end of the decade. Uh, And that includes 2020. So if if, if you guys like a little punt, then uh, take that one on for size. Just don't cash in
0: one Grand Prix into next year thinking it won't happen.
1: Yeah, like Paddy Power did a bet the other day where there was like, Seven of four that Verstappen wins any race this season, and uh, they had to pay that one out immediately. I, watched, which I thought oh was quite God. funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, Penny power cool. tends to pay out on things before
3: they happen rather than when they happen. So, how yeah, uh, yeah. it take them? It took them that long?
1: Yeah, exactly. But they, they do take forever with that shit. But uh, in, in any case, yeah, other bookmakers are available. Uh, <laughs> 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 Prefer the ones in blue. Uh Leave but, responsibly. Yeah. Yeah, please gamble please, responsibility, please, of course. Yes, absolutely, Lewis. Good boy. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Verstappen takes takes the win. and great result from Kimi Riker in his second place, but obviously he was frustrated about that he didn't get the win. But uh, King, let's talk about your boy.
2: <laughs>
1: let's talk about your boy. and boy, um, Rosberg. Nico Rosberg, who was going into this race on a four-race winning... Oh, sorry, a seven-race, I should say, winning Sydney Street, dating back to last season. Um... He started from second, had an amazing start. I mean, he swept right around the outside of Hamilton into Turn 1 in a spectacular fashion. I thought that was a stunning pass from Rosberg into Turn 1, and I thought, oh, hang on, this, this could be interesting. And the next thing you know, the red recovery light turns on the back of Rosberg's car. Hamilton comes out of Turn 3 about 10 mile an hour faster, and then, well, you know what all happens All hell next. breaks loose. Yeah, all yes. hell essentially yes. breaks loose, and... Um, I mean, King. I want to get a vibe from you. Like, I, what was your immediate reaction at the time it happened? Because I was, I was too busy laughing my head off,
2: quite frankly, to
1: really give <laughs> much of a shit. But
2: <laughs> well, I, I was I, quite I, was cool. My reaction was, "Oh my god, what had happened?" <laughs> because number one, I had a feeling. Admittedly, I was a little in, like, because I'm in Camp Rosberg, I had a feeling that something was up with Rosberg's car because there's no way that Lewis could have had such a great run out of that corner. Turns out you were right.
1: (laughs) Inadvertently, but, uh, yeah, that 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 was was crazy. crazy. I mean, the reaction
3: after that was, hey, the 43-point lead's safe.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's that. Yeah, exactly. There's one way of looking at it because, essentially... You know, it, Rosberg's the net winner because it's one less round Hamilton now has to try and recover some of that gap. But uh, you're right to mention you know that really move at turn one, though,
3: because on. that, that was, if if the internet at turn four hadn't happened, we would have all been speaking tonight after a Nico Rosberg victory talking about what an overtake it was at turn yeah. one around the outside of Lewis Hamilton. But you no, know, we won't get mentioned now. No,
0: like, it's the greatest. But the has ever. got a lot more steel this season. This is what I talked about earlier in the year. Rosberg has really, he's got that sort of, like, grit this year that I think he always lacked a little bit in a straight fight against Hamilton I didn't like all the armchair psychologists talking about how Rosberg didn't have the the mentality to deal with Hamilton but yeah I've had this feeling all season how something happened at Kota last year it's as if Rosberg something in him snapped it was like right you know what I'm fed up of being pushed around by this Lewis Hamilton guy thinking he can pull any kind of move on me I can just he can just barge me off he can get in my head he can do whatever he wants it's not happening anymore and so far he's really do things to people
2: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, admittedly, it seems like, and it's probably one of the reasons for his uh, just terrible mistake is that it seems like a little bit of the polish came off, and he's less he's less procedural and more instinctual out there on the racetrack, where it seems Mm. like he's less focused on I need to do A, B, and C, and more focused on I just need a win. Exactly. I just need to beat this guy by whatever means necessary. Yeah, indeed.
0: Yes. And,
1: and of course, we all reacted to an enormous accident obviously people had their sizzling hot takes regarding it and then we found out at the end of the Grand Prix and I have to give a a huge shout here to Anthony Davidson which I think had the best bit of punditry I've seen on Sky Sports F1 since its inception quite frankly because he picked up on something that nobody noticed at the time and that was the red light on Rosberg's car and the energy conservation that was going around turn 3 which is obviously not a normal place for energy conservation and find the clip if you haven't already it's about 6 or 7 minutes long and Davidson who obviously obviously being a former Mercedes test and development driver knows these cars better than almost anyone on the planet does he also
0: knows from his work with Toyota in the WEC just how hybrid systems in motorsport work as well so exactly he exactly. has a lot of experience in that as well
1: exactly and he broke it down and he said yeah Rosberg pushed the wrong button on the grid in, in, in terms of the startup procedure. And as a result, the, the car was in basically in safety car mode going around turn three. And then by the time he fixes it, uh, pushing the overtake button, which is obviously the the, the manual override of the car's energy, um, which is basically the way of saying, give me everything you've got right now in terms, of en- in terms of engine power. And next thing you know, Hamilton's there. He's committed to the gap on the right-hand side of turn four. And uh, next thing you know, they're both in the gravel. Hamilton's got his head in his hands and
0: we're all f- going, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, funny, a funny story for you, I was actually getting on with some other bits and bobs that I needed to do and I was gonna catch the race on catch up because let's be real here, it's Spain. Yeah. Um, and then I had like a friend, Like I just saw my Twitter literally just end into one massive WTF. Like literally, I've never seen my Twitter timeline explode like that and then I had a friend with me going, put the Grand Prix on immediately and I was like, What's happened? The Mercs have crashed! Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, and I just shuffled in the front room, stuck Channel 4 on. And I was like, okay, I may as well watch this. <laughs> yeah, all, all
1: of us just uh, just in shock over what had happened, essentially. And uh, there's been a lot of controversial opinions and and... Toto Wolf uh, was very honest at the end of the race and said, "Yeah, it's 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 split our own team's reactions as well, essentially." With uh, Nicky Lauda adamantly saying it was Hamilton's fault, saying it was too aggressive a manoeuvre to attempt um, this this early on. But um, <laughs> it was it, it was a difficult one. I to know Toto was more on the fence. Like Hamilton was, well, he had to be. He had to play diplomat. Yeah, he did. He, he kind of had to as team boss, really. And I know that Hamilton was more apologetic and just more down in the dumps over it than anything else. He said he had no ill will um, towards um, Rosberg at all for what happened, and he, he did seem genuine in, in, in what he was saying after the race. And I don't I don't want to draw too much into that because I know certain other people have drawn a little bit too much into these interviews that people have had after the race and I think they're completely redundant and meaningless because, you know, the people wanted to make out that oh Rossberg changed his story a couple of times. Look! I can't blame him for not being sure on what happened either. None of us were at the time. So, yeah. you know, I can't blame him for being in the same way because ultimately... It was thought, stuff. Yeah, was like he didn't see Rosberg coming. So he didn't see Hamilton coming until it actually it was already too late.
3: And the interview basically. I'd seen was basically three and a half minutes of Rachel Brooks, who I think is brilliant normally on Sky Sports F1, was
0: basically trying to put words in Nico's mouth. Essentially. Yeah, I think that was what was frustrating about the whole situation. You had this thing where I think the whole world was expecting, oh, it's teammate drama. It's the big feud that we've been wanting to happen. It's like Spa 2014 all over again. They're going to be at each other's throats and ah. And like Channel 4 spent entire laps just slowly panning a camera, watching people walking and getting in the Mercedes motorhome. And I'm like, Uh, the race is still continuing on track. There's, like, a battle for the lead going on and stuff. Can we, like, watch that? And, you know, maybe you tell us what's happened when they actually have something to say. And then when they came out, oh, my God, it was that. And I just feel like (laughs) all along... And and someone did mention that this was the first time that the front row had taken each other off in a Grand Prix since uh, 1992 Suzuka. We all know exactly who was involved in that one. And I think everyone was trying to draw a parallel in that and uh, trying to do... I think everyone's tried to write this narrative that there's this epic feud between Hamilton and Rosberg. And to be honest with you, I've never really bought it. I think they've, I think there's been times where there's been frustration between the two, obviously. Yeah, sure. You get that many strong drivers at the top team and not have those flashpoints like Cota last year. But honestly, the whole vibe after Spain, it's almost like both of them sort of came out with their sort of heads down a bit and gone, yeah, we've, we've kind of done goof there. Uh, sorry about that. And it was almost like they were sort of looking at each other going, are you going to tell him what happened, or shall I? Uh, no, No, come on, Lewis. I want to hear your side of the story. as well, well. I was, I was go for a pass. But there wasn't any space that I know. It was it, to me, It just kind of felt like both of them were really bummed about it. Like, yeah, I know everyone's desperately trying to write the narrative that they are like mortal enemies. But to be honest with yeah. you, I think the whole team was just pretty embarrassed about it. It just looked. It it
2: didn't look good for them yeah. because it yeah. was it was a big I mistake mean, on both their parts. I mean, at like as a whole it seemed like it just seemed like a series of unfortunate decisions made by both of them that led to the worst possible outcome because we had Nico Lars- Rosberg go through his strats and like you could tell like I'm probably gonna come off as a real nerd here but playing like flight simulators as a teenager it's like <laughs> the number one thing you have to do is go through your checklist and he has a strat checklist like right on a steering wheel and he somehow forgets to, you know, make sure he's on the right strat. And Lewis coming out of this corner, he knows he's so much faster than Rosberg. He goes for a move on the inside, which is kind of like the natural tendency to go, but Rosberg's also moving there, so there's literally that no room. and kind gap of diminishing as well. Yeah. yeah.
1: If you if you do not go for the gap, you are not racing. <laughs> yeah. uh, Etc., which is what happened uh, I was lovely hearing that quote again. Yeah, the, which is what Hamilton actually quoted in said did, yeah. post-race interview. Which, like, God, that that quote
0: will never friggin die, will it? Never. It's, just, it's a bit like leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, exactly. It's it, destined it, to be on t-shirts size XXL for the rest of time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's,
1: it's it's been done to death at this point. Unfortunately, it's kind of the nature of it all. Um, but yeah, essentially. Ugh, um, um, it, it was ugly and Toto said it himself the team just dropped 43 points and that's that's the way he said it and it's, it's a big blow for the constructors because they had a dominant lead where that was concerned they had doubled the score of Ferrari and that's taken a, a hefty chunk with, with Ferrari's double podium here um, in Spain but, um, yeah. but Dre, I
0: know you're about to get to this mm-hmm. Ferrari surely they should have capitalised here
1: I'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. I promise you. Trust me. I'm trying to I'm trying to
0: hold this down
1: right now. Okay. I'm, I'm trying <laughs> I'm Sorry. To... I'm not
0: trying to rile you, man. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm a Nico Hulkenberg fan. I'm I'm a lost cause at this point. So yeah, I'm yeah. Just... yeah. <laughs> Don't even remind me. I just saw his car. Just like I was like, oh, maybe Hulkenberg. No, his car's smoking. It's trying to point
3: a McLaren Honda driver.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah, Lewis I'm putting my arm around you and let's just go get a pint mate it's not going to get any easier is it
3: I, I celebrated those two points that Jensen got on Sunday
0: that's, the, that's, <laughs> where, that's, where, we're, that's where we're
1: at right now hey it's, we're, celebra- we're celebrating low level points finishes god yes. bless you Lewis uh, mate you're talking to a whole FC and Wimbledon fan here yeah <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's not much hope for optimism around here these days. Uh, uh, <laughs> and also, random fact, Kimi Räikkönen is second in the points now. Yeah, yeah Räikkönen is second overall now. That's uh, that's just kind of mental in its own right to even to even comprehend, quite frankly. It uh, tells you where Seb should be. Y- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then we'll get to that in just a second. But my word, I mean... 43 drop points for Mercedes more than anything else and a, a, another big teammate fallout and whatnot. It's it, it's not ideal for anyone in that camp but they've, they've not had the best of fortnights even after the 1-2 at, at Sochi. There was the talk of conspiracy and that that was rubbished off and now this has happened. It would, and again, it's another black mark against the Mercedes name where they can never go a season flawless. That's just, that's just the nature of F1 more than anything else. And I mean, King, is there going to be any significant repercussions to this down there because I don't think there will be I know a lot of people jumped on Pascal Wehrlein testing today for the Mercedes team as uh, as, as Wednesday on the night we record this on the 18th um I'm not reading too much into all that but I, I mean there was also half a story talking about Rosberg going to Ferrari potentially I'm, I'm not buying
2: that for a second either do you <laughs> uh I I think it's more of a media and as as a larger part public desire to see Mercedes no longer be the dominant team in F1. Like Mm. maybe if Rosberg leaves, they'll leave like a piece of the machine that, you know, they don't have anymore. And, you know, they just won't go as fast. And it's just hoping that anything might slow them down.
1: Exactly, and I mean, I don't think fair, I, don't I put
2: think... the Nico Rosberg to
0: Ferrari rumours. I put them in the same category as the Audi to F one rumours from last year. <laughs> just something people want to be true, but it's it's just not. So, can we stop talking about it now?
1: That would be nice. Like I'm calling, I'm calling it a boycott to all Audi to F one talk at this point. If, the, if, if anyone mentions it on the podcast, they will be shot. Quite frankly, they'll be <laughs> shot in the same way that Kraken was shot twenty episodes ago. But oh. um,
0: <laughs> but, Hang on, it's of, been another twenty episodes. I'm the... Oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah, well, guys, it's been nice knowing you and everything. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. partner. Yeah. Eddie <laughs> Jordan has left the building.
1: Um, <laughs> <yeah>. Boy!
0: <laughs> but uh,
1: talking of Ferrari, yeah, let's, 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 let's have my counsel in session
0: right now. Um, <sighs> Drake? Yeah. Take a seat over there on the nice uh, flat recliner yeah, chair. Yeah, big comfy brown chair. Yeah, I was yeah. get the clipboard out of my notes. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how you're feeling. Pissed off, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what's made you feel that? Uh, I mean, I don't know you how much it is. Do under
1: uh, underachieved so far this year? Shut up, Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm venting here, okay? I'm venting. Right. Um... Speak as much as you want. If it makes you feel better, embrace the embrace Shut the up! <laughs> as I was saying, um, okay, like... I, I, I get the feeling that... I don't know how much of the fa- this is the fanboy in me talking. I mean, I'm bloody wearing a Ferrari shirt right now, as I say
2: this, which just probably doesn't help the situation at all. We are neutral broadcasters here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> of course we are. We're, we're neutral as in we love everyone. Well, at least part of us love everyone. Fuck Hamilton.
0: Well, who <laughs> are we? <literally laughs> Hulkenberg, Vettel, Rosberg, Louis Souza... Oh, Button. Gentlemen. Yes. Yeah, close enough. There you go. So we run the gamut. So me and Lewis are just kind of happy to be here in the midfield. (laughs) And then King and Dre are having a war up front. Yes, it it was fun. Me and King were each other's throats around
1: Singapore last year when we actually thought Vettel had a legit shot at second. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how much of this is the fanboy in me talking, but part of me can't help but shake the feeling that Ferrari may have left another win on the table. And... Like, much was made in Australia where Mercedes were able to run that medium compound tyre all the way till the end after the safety car, essentially doing a one-stopper. And Ferrari tried to be more aggressive with the tyre strategies and it didn't work. Ferrari claimed they they didn't know the medium compound tyre as well, so they didn't want to take the chance. They stuck to what they knew and it didn't work out, really. I mean, they could have maybe had second towards the end of that Grand Prix, but obviously Vettel then binned it and then... Yeah, it was was a a bittersweet kind of third. And that's that's kind of how I feel about this one as well, because it was another bittersweet third for Sebastian in this case. And, you know, Ferrari would any other weekend would probably take a double podium. Um, But King, am I crazy for saying that I feel like Vettel could have easily had two wins by now?
2: Yeah, uh, maybe not two, definitely one. One. But Mm. it, it seems like Ferrari is seemingly not good at closing races where it's like they, they, they have the great new rosberg, starts if you think about it <laughs> yeah they're the new rosberg where they have great <laughs> starts uh, but over the course of the race things just progressively go from great to very good to good to uh, we'll live with it and it's kind of like it's kind Actually, of you know, like, like williams in a way <laughs> it's, it's it's kind of like you know an Italian woman. Wait, no, no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Where's this going? <laughs> Where? What? Once you get, what you get past, like sorry, the nice, as in, you know, once you get past, you know, the surface, the it, it might be a shit box underneath.
1: <laughs> like King, King, if King, you dated an Italian woman before? Is that why you no, no,
2: no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Well,
3: you don't get any more. <laughs>
1: Well, we've just watched King alienate himself from an entire country. Congratulations, King. That was, that was, that was, great. That was great work Just there. remind
0: me never to play this episode of the podcast to my female Italian friend.
1: No, no. <laughs> we've had it now. Thanks a lot, King. You've ruined it for everybody.
2: There, there, there are plenty of other nicer countries out there. We're fine. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there goes our deal to cover the Scudetto next year. No.
2: Like,
0: what is your beef with Italy, man? <laughs> He's a Rosberg fan. It's it's a condition thing now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> essentially, essentially, but uh, yeah, I mean, as a Vettel fan, it's 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 frustrating. I can't lie. And Ferrari have been okay this year, but I feel like they've they've let way too many open opportunities slip. they have had two engine failures and potentially two blown wins already, and that's not not a good way to start the season. There was a lot of pressure. Um, regarding the camp this time around because the boss was in town and that was, uh, uh, was obviously Sergio Marchione uh, head, head man at Ferrari president of course and uh, the uh, question from C- C- Nan, um who tweeted this in did say what about the pressure being put on the Scuderia by Marchione and is it affecting them and when will they be back at the top I think the question you've got to look at Sinan C- is if they'll be back at the top because Like, at no point, Ferrari's like the number one car in the field. At no point have they ever looked like they could actually give Mercedes a run
0: for their money, truly, in my opinion. Do you know what this feels to me like? Mm. McLaren around 2012, 2013, when people were like, oh, McLaren are going through a little bit of a blip. When are they going to be back at the front? Hmm. And then they... yeah, Yeah, It's it's almost like if you slip from the top, it becomes harder and harder to climb back up again, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially without... Uh, any drastic revisions to the rules, of which there have there, there doesn't seem to be any. Well, there's going to be big aero changes supposedly for next year. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yeah, anyone order a double helping of dirty air because that's exactly what we needed more of. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, you might be right. There's a. I don't know. It's like Ferrari have a winning culture. We know this. They uh, it, it's win or bust for them. They they do not accept anything less. Um, I would assume a camp like that probably thrives on pressure. But when you're up against an opponent in Mercedes who are just that all conquering. And they're now in the situation Williams were last year, where they were the comfortable second team to Mercedes in 2014. And then Ferrari made the gains and started beating Williams. Red Bull are now in that spot as well. So it's it, it, it continues on. It's almost like people are battling to be the second best team behind Mercedes. But it's almost like the harder you try to catch Mercedes the more you end up just falling behind your closest rivals. Yeah, it's, very, I, it's a very strange yeah, one. I don't think anybody's any closer than
1: what we were two years ago, to be honest with you, and I feel like no. people are still blatantly fighting for second place. I mean, King, are you, do you get the same impression that I do? No. Like,
2: <laughs> maybe... At some points last year, I felt like it was that way but it was more of a case of red bull being slow and not competing for second and not ferrari actually getting closer yeah
1: that, that that's the feeling i got as well that you know like i don't think much like if you if you painted um if you painted the 2014 red bull red would you have noticed any difference between that and, and, and what ferrari's 2015 season was where it was ricardo picking off The scraps of other of of, of bad mercedes days essentially
0: well i think it was actually it was um it was nick damon who might have made this point over on um the radio le mans f1 season review at the end of last year you actually look at the average gaps between uh ferrari mercedes last year it was actually no smaller than the average gap between first uh mercedes and the non uh, mercedes and their opponents in 2014 it hadn't actually changed i think just the uh, races like um malaysia and um uh, singapore that appear to give the impression that ferrari were able to beat them more on their own terms Mhm,
1: very much so and uh yeah come on ferrari get your ideas straight already we need to, we need some entertainment up here actually tell about no we don't can we just have mercs just crash every weekend please and you know we can, <laughs> we, can we can have a scrap between ferrari rebel that seems a lot more fun to me right now quite frankly but uh yeah basically on top of that One of the more not-so-talked-about stories of the weekend, King, was uh, when Renaults collide, essentially. And uh, it happened apparently on the final lap of the race. uh, Kevin Magnussen hit Jolian Palmer. And uh, we didn't see it. It wasn't on the hard camera, obviously, because everyone was too crazy about Verstappen winning. Obviously, it wasn't on the hard camera. But Magnussen has hit Jolian Palmer, his teammate. Magnussen was given a 10-second time penalty and two penalty points in his license for the incident, and uh, King Magnussen kind of took it in his stride, really, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he completely said it was his fault, and he also said he was faster than Palmer anyway. To the tune of... (laughs) To, what, four or five seconds?
3: (laughs) The third of the gap between Jesse uh, Sorensen and Carmen Jordan.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. like I said, there. yes. zero point three jordas. Yeah, zero point three jordas there. By comparison of pace, I don't know. I don't know if Madison was on was on a fresh set of tyres later on in the race or something like that, but very strange incident. Very obviously not to hear it, not to see it on the camera. Kind of made it a bit of a pain in the butt. Maybe it'll come out on the season review DVD somewhere or something as a bonus feature. Mm-hmm. But. Um, Oh dear, like like Julian Palmer's had a pretty rough time of it so far in F1, King. I think a lot of people after I mean, he looked strong in Australia, where he finished eleventh, but um, I, I it doesn't like the 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 thoughts in that camp are very positive right now.
2: No, like a lot of people are writing him off as uh, what a GP GP2 journeyman champion who finally got to F1 after you know four seasons or five seasons where basically, the automatic comparison was like, he's the second coming of Pastor Maldonado, which I find to be ridiculous on many counts, like number one, Pastor Maldonado wasn't that bad, number two, Jolin Palmer isn't that bad either. He just needs time, and whether he'll develop in time will kind of have to see about that. Yeah, I mean, I think, it's, I, think it's, I
1: think it's very harsh to condemn a guy after five races in his career uh, on almost any level, quite frankly. And, and the same again,
3: condemning uh, Julian Palmer were probably the same people that were shouting to the rooftops to tell us how good Kevin Magnuson was at the start of the season. Well, like, if you think K-Mag is that good, then surely you have to see Julian Palmer's performances through a slightly different light.
1: Exactly, because we, we, shouldn't we have expected Magnussen to have been better given yeah. the extra year of experience?
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, pretty much. And uh, I... You know, I, I mentioned this earlier in the year. Weren't these also usually the same people who say not enough feeder series champions make it to Formula One?
2: <laughs> yeah, but but they want the guys who win in two or two or less seasons to come through. Yeah, they yeah. want,
0: they want the, the greatest driver not in F one. Who? Oh wait, no, he actually is in F one again.
1: Etc. 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 Also, I got, I got a fan question from Nord the Dragon to so, Hi Nor. He sent a question into the show, and he said. How many more years do you think it's going to be until a big reshuffle of the grid is going to happen? With the amount of locked-down teams, personally, it might be a while before any young more talent will come through. I think that's definitely true for the Red Bull camp, at least, given how young their drivers are, of Carlos signs being 21, Kvyat being 22, and Max being still being 18. But um, King, I mean... It was about this time last year we started having question marks about Kimi Räikkönen and we teased the possibility that maybe Hülkenberg or Bottas might get his seat. Obviously, neither of that happened as Räikkönen kept his seat going forward. But the thing is, Räikkönen's been pretty good so far this season. So, he's like you yeah. he mentioned, he's second overall on the championship. So, have Ferrari really got a good reason to get rid of Räikkönen right
2: now? Uh, the, the word going around is that they're working on his contract for next year and they're going to keep him on for at least one more year. mm
1: So for me, that kind of rules out the possibility of a big reshuffle because I think you need a top three or four team to drop a driver before you get the domino effect of potentially seeing three or four other guys in different teams and whatnot. And... Right now, I don't see where the first domino is. I mean, Merckx are most likely going to keep their lead. I mean, Merck's already confirmed going forward at uh, this weekend that Hamilton and Rosberg will be their two drivers going forward unless something crazy happens. Probably not, but still. Uh, I, I had to leave the Eddie Jordan door open on that one because I can. <laughs> <laughs> and Because so many, teams, so many teams have junior yeah. setups now that you don't tend to get a
3: domino effect. You don't tend to get a team picking mm. a driver from another squad. They tend to just promote from within. So I think if you say McLaren, when one of their drivers, either Alonso or Button, decides that enough's enough, they can just stick Van Dorn in that car. They're not going to go to Williams or to Mercedes or to Ferrari and say, can we have your driver? They're
1: just going to promote their own. Exactly. And yeah, you're absolutely right. Stoffel, Stoffel Van Dorn is the big one where that's concerned because we all know it's going to be Stoffel's seat eventually if he's willing to wait around, which is another thing that Sina mentioned mm. on, on Twitter to me. He also posed a question of, Um, How long can Mercedes keep their line waiting for the big seats? And who will be the first to go? Plus, when could this happen? And my response is, it could be as early as next year because Rosberg's contract does expire at the end of the season. But they also confirmed this weekend that Rosberg will be staying with the team for another year. So, at least. So, it's looking like Mercs are not going to change, but... um... I mean, if you're Verline king, are you expecting a Merc seat to come up anytime soon? Or do you just genuinely feel like Verline's willing to play the long game here? Because I feel like if I'm Mercs and I lose Hamilton and Rosberg, I'm not putting Verline in. I'm thinking there could be somebody else better that could be just as ready for that seat.
2: Based on what Veriline's done in the past, he's a company man. He's willing to wait and get experience. When he, when he did well in European Formula 3, he didn't move up to one of the, you know, Formula Renault or GP2 or GP3. He went with Mercedes and went to DTM. He's willing to be on the company side as long as he knows there, there's something at the end of the road.
1: Yeah, I, 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 think that's, I think that's a fair shout. I think what you said, I mean, how often do you see guys in a single-seat ladder go to DTM for a year, at, at his, especially at his age, still being just 20 years old at the time? I mean, that was still pretty crazy. So I think, yeah, I think Verlund does come across like a company guy. And to answer your questions, me personally, I don't think there's going to be a reshuffle. I think... Um, I think Ferrari will keep there too. I think Williams will probably keep there too. I think Red Bull will probably keep there too. So I, I don't see where the reshuffle happens. Maybe Force India, if one of their two gets tired of their team shenanigans with VJ Malia and uh, the team, you know, being underperformed, underperforming compared to where they were this time last year. Um where they were made big strides forward and also what's kind of funny about the the situation was that Toro Rosso is now fifth in the Constructors Championship so uh, (laughs) Carlos Sainz leading the way everybody but um, it's almost like he's good at something Um, (laughs) but yeah that's a couple of interesting points but I I don't think there's going to be a reshuffle anytime soon I think it could be at least another year before that happens and I mean it it would take a big factory making a big power play and right now I don't see why any team would do that I think that a lot of teams have got their driver lineup set going forward Coming back yeah, to the point about but teams
3: promoting from within as well, if you, if you look at what Max Verstappen has done this weekend, that's all the more encouragement for teams to look for the next 12, 13, 14-year-old whiz kid that's coming through and think, we need to get this guy under our umbrella and make sure that he's our talent When he, by the time mm. he's old enough and good enough to get to Formula 1. So I think you're going to see more of that now with what Max Verstappen's done. Teams are just going to promote their own
2: young drivers and develop them and scout them out and pick them out at an earlier age. Well, I don't know because Max Verstappen was such an outlier and... The, the Karting World Championship he won was also such an outlier because they had, uh, I forgot, it was one of the former Red Bull drivers. I think Jaime Soari or uh, Danny Yukadea competed in that World Karting Championship, which is something insane, and <laughs> Verstappen beat him. And it was to the point where teams were, Verstappen wasn't, you know, shopping for teams. Teams were shopping for Verstappen.
1: Yeah, and again, I think the only reason he joined Red Bull in the end was because they could promise him a guaranteed seat straight away at Toro Rosso, was something that Mercs just couldn't do. Um, so, yeah, that is interesting. Um, before we move on from Formula 1 real quick as well, the dirty air is still definitely a thing, isn't it? And... Um, <laughs> It was, it was a little bit of a minor buzzkill towards the end of the race that these cars just can't run close, and once Verstappen was out in front, and it, it was becoming more and more evident that, that Raikkonen just didn't have the answers to pass him on that, even though Catalan's got a really, really long home straight, um, it's it just couldn't happen, and, uh, i don't want to be one of those you know bleating f1 cars gotta run close fanboys that are out there because i don't think you necessarily need that to have an entertaining race but even so i think haven't needed it so far this year yeah exactly but even so it is a little bit annoying that these cars can't run wheel to wheel like this um wouldn't you say johnson Wait, like, Johnson's been talking all podcast long on the one time I actually go to him... For-
2: <laughs> <laughs> that, that's impressive, Johnson, like, really, yeah. Yeah, I really am. Yeah, it's like, when you say so, Johnson? Silence. Yeah. Silence is agreement. No, well,
0: <laughs> uh, you want my opinion? You'll have my opinion after the break. Um, there's dirty air no, on the Johnson uh, internet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's so much dirty air for 2017, it's affecting my internet already. Uh, it's just too much, but... No, well, the thing is, we all know uh, Catalonia is probably the most dirtier-affected track on the current Formula 1 schedule. That's why he really struggled to pass there. And especially with that final chicane, it kills any momentum coming through the final corner. I mean, how many times do we see Raikkonen come through that chicane and it just die coming through the final corner and out onto the main straight? And by the time he activated DRS, Verstappen had about a second on him. So it was just nothing. And he, he'd gained back about half a second every lap there. And that was it, really. It was just... it's The thing is, with the... What worries me about the regulations for next year is that these cars are already supremely fast. They're squeezing more and more power out of these hybrid engines ever. The thermal efficiency, the, the figures that they're pulling out of these cars with the fuel flow rates and everything, it's, it's spellbinding. It's, it's marvellous. It's, it's tomorrow's world stuff yeah. that's coming from the power plant of these engines. These cars are incredibly advanced as they are. They're already not the cleanest air-producing things ever. This is not like, uh, you know, indie cars of the 2000s or something like that. I mean, IndyCar is having its own dirty air issues, and I'm pretty sure those cars don't produce anywhere near as much downforce as a current Formula 1 car. And, but the push has been, seemingly from the drivers as well, to make Formula 1 cars look spectacular and be really, really fast and to set lap records they're already tearing lap records up anyway Mm -hmm. and i just feel like this is almost like an ego trip to be like look we've got really fast cars and lap records everywhere but the race it's no good if it's processional it's like that's the thing people remember about the the early 2000s now looking back on it yeah the cars were spectacular they sounded great but could they run within two seconds of each other not Not really. really not a bit of it i mean it's surprising in a way that I just don't think anyone's investigated the potential of ground effect or you know ground based aerodynamics again I know it's a little bit of a touchy subject in One, but seriously you want faster cars but you want them to be able to run closer together surely that's the only option at this point you know adding more to the overside, it you know you, you're gonna you're gonna almost kill any gains you've made this year by opening up the tyre strategy that's the reason why we've had such better racing this Agreed. year tyre strategy has really negated dirty air to a large extent it's like mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like uh, only in Raikkonen's case did we say, well, Raikkonen and uh, Verstappen were on similar, similar tyres, so that was OK. It, you know, it kind of balanced itself out. But, you know, in a lot of cases, you see guys on different strategies, you know, on faster tyres, so the sheer level of grip will make up for any dirty Yeah, They'll be able to close the gap and pass. But otherwise, I, I don't know, guys. Is You know, it comes down to that thing of, like, is should Formula 1 be a pure technical demonstration of the fastest cars around? And it doesn't matter if there's no overtakes in a race because you know, they are Whoa, pushing Johnson, the limits Johnson,
1: Johnson, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you actually posing that the fans have inputs on what they think Formula 1 <laughs> should be? Well, you
0: know, that's kind of a dangerous game, don't you think? <laughs> I mean, a little bit, yeah. I mean, the fan survey this last year didn't really answer anything. In the end. Yeah. And I think that was going <laughs> to yeah, team
3: bosses to agree was difficult. when some of the fans...
0: Yeah, exactly. And what the Formula 1 when nobody sodding agrees? Yeah, yeah. I know. But I think it's 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 what direction the 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 rulemakers in the sport want to do and uh, want to take, and I just feel like uh, I don't I I feel like people would respond to closer racing better than they would faster spaced out racing. Does that make sense? Sure. I think more people would respond to exc- uh, not excitement. You know, I don't want to sound yeah. like well,
2: like I I would watch a bunch of Fiat five hundred race if I knew the margin of victory was going to be like a tenth of a second.
0: Dude, why do you think the Renault Clio Cup's one of the most exciting, most-watched series over here in the UK? Because it's consistently, alongside the British Touring Car Championship, it's one of the closest race series in the country, and they're like 170-horsepower hatchbacks. And they produce the most amazing racing because they're so evenly matched, and the guys are basically up-and-coming British Touring Car drivers. So they've got all the physicality and all the, the the I'm-going-to-dive-bomb-up-the-inside-to-take-the-lead, but they haven't quite got the skills yet of the British Touring Car drivers. So, yeah, it's absolute carnage. And that's how it is it's it's great close racing I mean isn't that what NASCAR's built on that's why I when know. they had their problems with dirty air they had to act fast because they what else are they going to do if they're not racing side by side NASCAR that's... reference drink um <laughs> hey it's 57 minutes I think I've done well and you King dropped the first one you mentioned Chase yeah. Elliott
1: like 5 minutes in so to be fair you can't replay really that. that was
2: King <laughs> that, that was me, that was me. <laughs> yeah
1: See, you're not helping him King you're an enabler to this problem <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I mean, yeah, it's nice to see lap records go down. I mean, Hamilton's pole time of a one twenty two dead was absolutely insane, and it was, two, I think it was something like two point seven seconds faster than last year's pole, which, to be fair, was on the medium compound tyre because obviously they only had two tyres um, per weekend there. As hey, they'll be doing a one sixteen next season if we believe what the teams are telling us. Exactly. I mean like the, the fastest time in the V8 I think was a 119.9 from Mark Webber which he set in 2010 when I think the cars had the most amount of downforce that they had at the time um, but even so I mean we could be getting back to the old layout kind of speeds where they were doing 114s around Catalunya because the track was just so fast without that wretched friggin' chicane at the end of it which needs to die a painful death quite frankly I hate it in every in every way which and form uh, <laughs> but enough about that uh, let's 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 keep it relatively four-wheeled relevant for the time being and let's talk about Nelson Piquet something I know something I was saying on this podcast I'm talking about the world's most exciting man Nelson Piquet Jr um but he was going to race for Carlin in the I think it was the,
2: the Pal Grand Prix King um Mm-hmm. Yes, it was the PAL Grand Prix yeah. A round of the Formula 3 European Championship
1: Yeah, Nelson Piquet had every intention of taking part um, Which was, you know, nice to see And what not very cool That uh, Nelson Piquet, obviously an experienced journeyman uh, You know, obviously Formula E champion And, uh, you know, established driver was, was going out there to, you know A nice little boost for the European Formula 3 series Until the FIA blocked his re-entry king Did the FIA give a specific reason as to why?
2: Uh, Their specific wording was it was against the spirit of the championship because this year they introduced a lot of rules to limit driver eligibility. The, The two main ones were that you had to have a year of car racing under your belt before you could enter the championship and you could have no more than three seasons in the championship in terms of experience. Nelson Piquet successfully, you know, He he was eligible to compete, but in the spirit of the rules, he wasn't eligible.
1: Yeah, like again, like it's like that's the impression I first got when this story first came out—that it was more a violation of the spirit of the rules more than the actual rule itself. Um, That you know, there's no reason why Nelson couldn't take part, but we all know what the FIA Formula Three Championship is. We all know it's a feeder series. We all know it's part of the FIA's master plan too. Essentially, have their own ladder to get to Formula One eventually. And uh, I I can see the argument that people would make as to why they wouldn't want Nelson to race. I can see, I understand it in the sense of, you know, like Nelson being as good as he is might cost other people points who are competing for the championship. I mean, Adam, what's your take on all this? Because I feel like, I feel like, I, I could see both sides of the argument here. I'm not entirely sure which one I agree with more in terms of whether... You know, whether he whether he should be allowed to take part, or whether you know, it, you know, it goes against what the series is all about. Really, by him having, you know, this one-off Grand Prix. What, how do you feel about it, Adam?
0: I think it's difficult. I call it the Cup drivers in Xfinity series problem. This is the thing that NASCAR has been struggling with for ages and ages. And I don't make this comparison superfluously um, because the problem over in NASCAR in the Xfinity series in the second tier is that cup drivers, sprint cup drivers start almost every single race over there and quite often win almost every single race because of their superior experience equipment talent blah 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 so it's almost gone too far the other way over there in that you know it's the whole point of a second tier development series is being run roughshod by these cup guys getting having a bit of fun on a saturday and kind of seemingly ruin it for everyone else although i've spoken to several drivers uh in those lower divisions who actually enjoy it when a a big time guy comes down to their series because If you beat those guys, that's a big marker of what you can do. Uh, So in this case, coming back to this example, I feel like it's probably excessive um, because, you know, PK was only going to appear for this seemingly for this one race. Mm -hmm. He wanted to guest in that. And, you know, if if it extends towards the Macau Grand Prix, one that he's almost built on its, you know, big name wildcards at this point i think to be honest with you that kind of ruins uh, a lot of the fun of the motorsport at this point especially in a motorsport world where we don't see as many out of series cameos from drivers anymore you know it's it's almost unusual when guys you know go and c- compete in multiple different series i mean matthias ekstrom managed to pull a double header of a very different variety recently at um, hockenheim when he ran the dtm races there and the world rallycross round there on the same weekend they had a sort of joint weekend um so that was unusual in itself. But back in the 50s and 60s, I mean, guys were jumping in different kinds of race car every single week, weren't they? Guys like Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Dan Gurney, AJ Foy. You know, all these guys were... They drive NASCAR one week. They drive IndyCar another week. British touring cars the next week. Oh, maybe I'll do some Formula 1. Oh, you know what? I might give Formula 2 a go this week. I'm not doing anything this weekend. Let's, let's have some Formula 3 or some 5000 or so. That's just how it was. We don't really get that as much anymore for, you know, in some cases, for, for many understandable reasons. But... I feel like this would have been a neat... It would have been a neat example. It would have been a, a little bit of exhibition. It would have been a showcase for the event. It's, it's got people talking about the event in the end for the wrong reasons. And I just think the saddest visual of the whole thing was the image that... Um, I think it was Carlin. It must have been the, the team that were going to run the car. They tweeted out on Saturday morning of just a, a sad face and just a picture of the car sat in the corner of their little garage. So obviously, nobody told them that PK had been blocked to competing until they'd flown a car out for him for the event.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just an absolutely uh, an, an absolutely crazy story, and obviously, just you know, it's obviously a bit of a bummer seeing Carl in there, just having to show off the fact that oh yeah, well, you know, we, j- we just we j- we just can't we we, you know, we just can't do it. We, we, we've been at the eleventh hour. We've been told oh we can't do this now, which is just kind of a bummer more than anything else because um, you know I, I would have liked to have seen Nelson take part, and I do think cameos overall are kind of cool. I think it adds a couple of extra eyes on an event that may not normally be there, and. I feel like that would be you know, quite a neat little thing to have. So, I, I think I would, the I
3: spirit would. of the rules argument is a very dangerous one to go down as well because yes. it, it's, it's totally subjective. I mean, it's things like the McLaren F-duct was against the spirit of the rules, but it was allowed. You know, so, so the double diffuser was against the spirit of the rules, but it was allowed, and it won Braun and Jensen Button a World Championship. If you go down the, the road of saying that this is against the spirit of the rules, well, that's, that's not sufficient. If it's the spirit of the rules, put it in writing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm inclined to agree with that. I mean, I think Johnson will relate to this example. Do you remember the blood feud in Robot Wars between Razor and Tornado towards the end of its run?
0: Oh my God, yes. I know exactly what you're about to say as well. Yeah, and
1: how Tornado was a robot that was very vulnerable to Razor's enormous pincer beak. And they they put an enormous frame around the robot so that Razor's beak couldn't penetrate it. And of course, it, it also resulted meant it in not down a- the pit either. Yeah, exactly. It was it was impossible to pit, essentially, and as well, it also included the facet of razor adapting their beak to be able to turn it into a hook. So it got a little bit ridiculous between those, and that was a classic example of spirit of the rules there, where it was allowed, but Tornado kind of looked like dicks for doing it in the first place, essentially. <laughs> so. Yeah, it, it's it's it, it's those kind of situations which I think can get very dangerous sometimes. Um so yeah I feel like the spirit of the rules argument I completely agree with Liv Lewis I think you can't just make that up as you go along really and if you cut if you want to do those kind of things have an age limit or have a experience limit or have a you know if you've got a super license you can't compete kind of limit if you are f1 eligible for example you can't comp- you can't take part something something along those lines so it's in in writing you know clear as crystal about what that situation could be. Um, at, least that's, at least that's how I feel about it anyway. mean King, have you got a take on this real quick before we move on?
2: Uh, I don't know. I would like to see drivers, you know, who might not, not normally compete in F3 compete like Nelson Piquet, but obviously you don't want them overrunning the championship. And I don't know. I think I mentioned it like a couple episodes ago, like back in the 60s and 70s in Formula 2, they used to have a grading system where F1 drivers could compete, but they couldn't score points. Maybe something yeah. like that would be nice.
1: Sure, that could work. Yeah, just 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 exclude them from the overall running in t- in a sense of you know point scoring. You still score from the runners that were eligible for the championship as opposed to these guests, where they, they don't impede the championship, so to speak. Um, I think that I think that could work. Uh, I would, I'd I'd be I'd be for something like that, but. Uh, yeah, shame that Nelson won't be taking part. I would have actually been quite keen to see how he would have gotten on in that uh, European form if he would have not taken out half the field, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> but uh, let's move on from there and let's go to... Let's look, let's look at my list. What do I want to go through next? Let's go through MotoGP next whilst I'd be still here. And uh, yeah, the rider market's gotten a bit more deep in the last week and there was a lot of speculation after Le Mans... Last week, where Jorge L- L- Lorenzo would go on to dominate, um, how he did, and uh, there was a lot of talk and speculation about who could be going here, who could be going where, etc. And uh, we've had some moves in the last week since since, since that race has taken place. And uh, the big the big two that have been confirmed, Danny Pedrosa will be sticking around um, at, at Repsol Honda for what will be 13 years by the time his contract finishes in 20 2018 since so he's got a two year extension and Andrea De Vitziozo has been confirmed in the second Ducati so they so, so Ducati's team for 2017 and 18 is now confirmed it's going to be Jorge Lorenzo and Andrea De Vitziozo as their two riders going forward which pretty much forced Ianoni out the door and by the sounds of it everyone and their mother is now saying it's looking like Ian Ernie will be announced by the time this podcast goes out to be the Suzuki rider, therefore replacing Maverick Vinales, most likely, as he goes to Yamaha. And that's 99% confirmed now that it looks like Maverick will be at Yamaha. So a lot to wrap your head around here, but it looks like the driver mar- or rider market, I should say, it looks like it's, it's about to fall into place, Lewis, and... Uh, it's intriguing. I mean, I think we should start with Pedrosa first because he's, he's, on, he's on the highest of the billion right now. And uh, a safe, relatively safe move, I think, from Pedrosa because I, I don't know if the Yamaha contract was ever up in the air, really, or how much of that was just press speculation or whatnot. But... Pedrosa sticking it out for the long haul at uh, Repsol Honda going forward.
3: Yeah, and I don't know how much of that was trying to force Maverick Vinales and and Yamaha's hand to try and get that deal done, but it was pretty clear I think to me at least, that Danny Pedrosa was Yamaha's fallback option uh, if Maverick Vinales didn't sign uh, put pen to paper and we heard last week at Le Mans the weekend of the French Grand Prix that Maverick was having a very much a head versus heart argument as to whether he was going to stay or go from Suzuki it's pretty clear that his head won the argument and then he's going to go to Yamaha but yeah Danny Pedrosa, I think is he's the right fit for, for Honda he's been with Honda ever since the start of his 125 career um, so so the two of them just go together there's a lot of loyalty there from Danny's point of view and I think it works for Honda I mean Honda have got a decision to make themselves whether they just trust Mark Marquez to win races and championships, whatever bike they give him, or whether they start building a bike that other riders can actually get to grips with um, and that uh, that Mark's got more of a chance with. And Danny Pedrosa is the perfect rider to try and develop a motorcycle because of his experience. And, you know, he's a rider that's not going to rock the boat. He's not going to upset Mark Marquez. And I think Mark's opinion was pretty crucial in this, in that there was a lot of riders that were potentially being linked with that second uh, Honda C. that was when we thought Pedroza was going to go to Yamaha. Um, yeah. And the, the big discussion was, well, how will Mark Marquez feel if uh, Andre Iannone or someone like that comes in alongside him at, at Honda? How will he really feel about that? And I think Mark's preference throughout all of this was to have Danny Pedrosa remain as his teammate. And whatever you say about all of the other riders being linked with that Honda seat, whether it was Cal Crutchlow, he was the one that MCN were tipping to take Pedroza's place. And, there are, really of, and there, there are a number of others um, that were being linked. None of them offer what Danny Pedrosa offers, which is a proven race winner. And a rider, that, let's say Marc Marquez gets injured on the opening weekend of next season. Danny Pedros are still good enough to win races and put a championship cam- campaign together if the bike is good enough. And that's the decision exactly. that Honda have got to make. They've got to make a bike that's good enough for more than just Mark Marquez.
1: I'm inclined to agree we've all seen Marquez's struggles the last year and a half now regarding Honda. It's not the 2014 2014- um, backed winner that we all thought it was, but uh, shout out to Mr. Ryan King who three weeks ago thought that it was going to be Ianoni riding a Yamaha, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thinking that uh, Ianoni would, would like, like like he had the he had the theory that Yamaha would pinch whatever ride a Ducati would drop. Yeah. You, you were half right; you just got the wrong yeah. team, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it turns out it was Suzuki actually, uh, more more than. Uh, more than a Yamaha going down the let's fill in the dropped Ducati rider replacement route because it's again it's all but confirmed now that Andre Ianoni will be at Suzuki next year replacing Maverick Vinales and uh a good move i think for the suzuki team i think it's a i think it's a nice new patch i think for ianoni to prove himself after a up and down couple of years with the factory team
3: yeah it's a nice fit i think for, for ianoni and uh, he's a rider that i've got a lot of time for I, I i see the talent there i know there's a lot of trouble that comes with Andre you he's not called the maniac for nothing um but i think he's a rider that's got an enormous amount of talent and you know we, we can't forget that there was an offer on the table for Andre you to stay at ducati which was promptly mm. withdrawn Uh, when he skittled Davizioso out of the Argentine Grand Prix two corners from home and cost Ducati a double podium. And I think that just eroded any trust that Ducati had in Andre Inoni And, you know, what he's done since then, for as good a rider as he is, he hasn't done anything since then to win back that trust. You know, crashing out of second place at Le Mans. He was pretty anonymous uh, in the Spanish Grand Prix as well. He did get a podium Um, the uh, Grand Prix of the Americas at Cota but that was largely down to luck with Davizioso being taken out by Pedrosa and Valentino crashing out Um, so I think Unonia had just lost any kind of trust uh, from Ducati and uh, once that was lost I don't think he was gaining any of that back but no I think Suzuki's a good fit for him Suzuki definitely a team making progress and I think you see you know, they clearly only as a rider worth the risk and I think he's worth the risk
1: it's kind of weird having the roles reversed here from what normally would be on bike live where normally <laughs> Lewis is pitching it to me and said it's the other way around it's like I still find that a little bit weird but I still find that funny at the same time Okay, us us breeders this week <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. We're working you outside of me. You're no longer in the easy roll around here. <laughs> it's just, it's just, this is what it's like to be me yeah. every week. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I got almost felt like I oh, see my so that... so right. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that's definitely a plus. It's underrated, <laughs> me. Uh, yeah. but um, Johnson, let's let's talk Yamaha for a minute here. And I I was the only one out of the three of us that, I think at the time, suggested that they would take Maverick, and I, I that's quite a humble brag now more than anything else, even though it was kind of the obvious one on paper. You really. never miss an opportunity for a humble brag,
2: do you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, just, I didn't want to take Maverick because it was so obvious. So if it did happen...
1: <laughs> Sometimes the obvious bet is the one you need to make, people, okay? Like, well, let let that be a lesson to learn, everybody else around here, yeah? But, I mean, it's again, it's all but confirmed that Maverick Vigniadas will be at Yamaha for next season, and I think it's it's, it's a mega power play from Yamaha after, obviously, inevitably losing Jorge Lorenzo, but a team of Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vignade seems terrifying on paper to me right now.
0: It really does. It's quite interesting, just as we're recording right now, just as um, this is obviously the evening of Wednesday, the 18th of May, and just as we're talking about this, uh, David Emmett of Motor Matters on Twitter has just tweeted two rider announcements to be made tomorrow at Mugello, one at Yamaha, one at Suzuki so yeah I wonder who they could be Mm. Hmm. yeah about that so um, to be honest with you I think these these uh, appointments are making sense I feel like Vinales is kind of the the next move forward and you know in a way I get the feeling Yamaha is sort of looking towards some sort of future because obviously you know they've had Lorenzo move on who was you know much more veteran than he was a, a a young talent if you will Um, and of course you know how many more years does Valentino Rossi have we don't know he's kind of in the Kimi Raikkonen scenario in Formula 1 who knows how many more years he fancies doing this Uh, and then he will be able to do this so it's about time they started looking to have some sort of guy for the long term future and 21 year old Vinales who's been really tearing things up so far and has been incredibly impressive outside of that uh, outside of that kind of big two hegemony of uh, Yamaha and Honda I think mate, it's a very sensible choice. I, I think he's the kind of—he's the guy you can sort of rely on long term. He's going to develop into this role.
1: Yeah, completely agreed. I think it's a great marketing play to to lean on Valentino Rossi because I think again you'll take some of his fans when he hangs it up in 2018 most likely. I think there's a lot to gain for Maverick and there's not an awful lot to lose from a deal like this where he gets to spearhead the best all round team in the paddock going forward as well. So. For me, I think the, the pros far outweigh the cons for him at Yamaha as opposed to Suzuki. I think Suzuki are a great team, and I think they've made great strides going forward. But I also I also get the feeling that uh, Maverick wants to win. He's done nothing but win the last two or three years in, 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 in Moto2 and in Moto3 on the way up. And um, Yamaha gives him the absolute best possible avenue for him to do that. So uh, why not? Uh, take something like that on uh, for me, that, that's how I feel anyway at least And, uh, whew, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what else happens here, because I mean, again we, we, it's, it's going to be most likely Marquez and Pedrosa at Honda then you've got Vinales and Rossi at Yamaha, you're going to have Lorenzo and Dovi at Ducati, then you're going to have most likely again Iononi and Aspagaro at Suzuki. Um, I wonder what's going to, what's going to mean for poor old Pol Spagaro because Paul's in some serious trouble here, now. <laughs> yeah. like, Where's he going to go? Uh,
3: world <laughs> Superbikes. I don't know. It, it, it's a trigger. Someone did mention that whether they might put Paul Spagaro on one of the Yamahas in in World Superbikes, but I don't think Paul. As much as I like, well, as much as I like World Superbikes, I think Paul, he's, he's fifth in the World Championship at the moment and top independent rider. If you if you like celebrating the leading independent riders, top satellite um but i don't think he's done anything wrong this season he's kind of doing what bradley smith did last year in being the top so... satellite rider and he's been the top satellite rider pretty clearly so far um and yeah i don't think paul's done anything wrong and i think he's guilty of being one of a number of spaniards um who you know if a team wants a spaniard at the moment as yamaha want because they've got a spanish title sponsor in movistar they're not going to take paul even though yamaha have him as a factory contracted rider they're going to take maverick Viñales because he's younger and has a lot more upside but I don't think Paul's done anything wrong this season. And yeah, the fear is that he's going to disappear to World Superbacks, but he definitely deserves a place place on the grid next year for me.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think Paul Spagro, like he had a bit of a dodgy year last year, but but his first year in this year so far, he's been fantastic. And I think he's more than worthy of being on the grid. But then you look at the grid now and you realise there's not very many places he can go at this point, especially... Uh, for what it seems like, it's going to be a downgrade at best for him right now because all the better teams are all the factories. They're all going to have their top eight riders set up, as well as obviously a prettier well They're going to have Sam Lowe's and either one of the two between Bradle and Bautista, more unlikely as well. Well, well,
2: Trey, there's still one factory team with one seat open. Oh, God. <laughs> Who've already taken one take three rider for next year. <laughs>
1: Yeah, my, 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 and taking the other for all we you know, it could be Jacati uh, 2014 all over again with with a and Crutchlow I tell you the this post- though, Dre, they could do a lot worse. They, they, they could do a lot worse. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you're going to take two guys from the field, why not take the best two satellite runners in the field by taking Bradley Smith and Polar Spagaro? I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And if a Spagaro becomes available, tell him, look. Yeah, I'll stabbed you in the neck over this factory deal come to our and, land and it's, if you're it's, it's KTM
3: nice. who's the alternative um, to, to Polo I mean they're not going to put one of the test riders on the bike those test riders at the moment are Mika Kallio and Randy Deponier. Um you're not yeah. going to put either of them on the bike I think Carol Abraham tested for them as well and his time is well and truly gone because he's now on World Superbikes on the BM But there's not an awful lot out there. Joan Zarco, perhaps, obviously, if Suzuki take Ianoni, that cuts off one of his avenues into MotoGP. So he's got the IO connection. So you could see Zarco going to MotoGP with KTM. But Paula Spargo is probably a a ready made MotoGP rider. Zarco tends to take a while to learn a new class. You know, he didn't become a a race winner and a Moto2 champion until what is his third year. It tends to take him, much like Tito Rabat, it tends to take him a year or two to get to grips with a new class. And just look at what Rabat's doing at the moment in MotoGP. If you're going to take a rider and put someone on that second KTM, why not put someone who's ready now and knows how to develop a bike as Polt?
1: Sure, exactly. Um, I can't argue with any of that logic, but uh, that's going to be the that's that's going to be the last real piece in the free agency puzzle regarding MotoGP for next season because we know. Most likely all of Moto2's top four will be in the top class next year. We already know Sam Lowe's will be there. We already know that Johan Zarko will be there. He's currently holding on to a wet Suzuki contract as we speak, thinking, hey, is it, this this deal means something. Yeah. We just don't quite know what it means yet. <laughs> and basically, also, you know, Yodas Volga will be of Tech 3 next year, uh, most likely alongside Alex Rins. Um, again, that's not confirmed yet, but again, for all intents and purposes, they're most likely going to give Rins the factory contract, and you know, maybe sell another Spanish rider, the the impossible dream of riding the Yamaha one day. Uh, we will have to wait and see how that happens. But uh, again, very intriguing stuff as we head to Magello this weekend, and uh, oh, I love Magello so that's going to be great. I can't wait for that. Um, mm. Well, inevitably, we'll most likely talk about that a lot. Watch more the Moto
3: time. 3 race. That's all I would say. Motor 3, yes, Moto 3, yes. Moto 3 is about as good as it gets.
1: Yes, 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 yes. Please, please do.
0: What's your name? Daniel Bryan. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, yes,
1: yes. yes. Uh, moving on, and finally the IndyCar section for this podcast. And uh, King, Simon Pagina might be the best racing driver on the planet right now. I mean, the, the guy is in a different league to everybody else in the in the Verizon IndyCar
2: Series right now. See, I said Verizon as well. How very brand specific. Yeah. Like, um, I, I I don't want to sound like a certain presidential candidate, but it feels um, like any time I'm like, yeah, I really like Simon Paginot. And he goes out there and he gets it done because right now he's just seemingly the best out there.
1: Yeah, his, his, his IndyCar season, in case you guys are unaware, second, second, first, first, first. It doesn't get much better than that, folks. And like we all know that IndyCar has the reputation of being a, a very, very unpredictable series. You don't quite know what could happen at any given opportunity and it tends to obviously, with, with, with upsets, cautions, pitting off sequence, you can get a lot of inconsistencies. So for a guy like Pagino to to be in the top two every single round so far with three back-to-back wins, when we had nine different winners last year is ridiculous and Johnson he's seemingly unbeatable right now he's doing everything right going into the 500
0: I tell you what if Roger Penske decided to sell his motivational talks to his drivers to the general public there'd be a queue around the block for them within a day it'd be like Roger can you tell me to get my arse in gear and get a job and, and get a car do that yeah and then five minutes of hair drying later I'll have it smashed within a month these you know these warnings you know and whatever was said to Pagano at the start of the season you know, basically saying, pull your socks up, son. I don't care if your teammates are Cashnevers, Power, or Montoya. You're still a Penske driver and I still expect you to win races, damn it. You better do so, otherwise you're going to be looking for alternative employment at the end of season 2016. Mm-hmm. However way he phrased that, it's had an effect, hasn't it? This is extraordinary. And we've, yeah. always, we've always known that Pagano's had this great talent. Uh, within him. He showed this a lot more before in sports cars over in the American Le Mans series. He was really, really strong over there for a long time and of course he ran for Peugeot at uh, the Le Mans 24 Hours in their factory team and in IndyCar... In IndyCar, it almost felt to me like he had the excuse of kind of not being with a top tier team. And that's not to disrespect the teams he was with. I believe he was with Schmidt Peterson Motorsport mm-hmm. and he got his breakout wins at Detroit in uh, 2013, I want to say, um, or yes. 2014, uh, either one of those two. Um, and it kind of felt like it was like, well, okay, it's okay. You know, we're, we're competing, we're there or thereabouts, and we can get a win here and there. Um, Almost like the Mike Conway strategy, but Mike Conway had a legit reason. He only ran the road courses any given year, and Ed Carpenter ran the Oval, so Conway would literally turn up just to win, and whatever he could get out of it would be a bonus. Mm -hmm. But uh, it feels like Pagano had his year or so with Penske, and... Maybe he was a little bit overall. Maybe he just struggled to keep with his, you know, his far more illustrious, more experienced, more successful, let's be real, teammates uh, in, you know, multiple series champions in in Castro, Montoya and uh, Will Power. Uh, and it's almost like this year, Penske's, as I say, giving him that nudge. And it's like pagano has gone, wait a minute, I'm Simon Pagano. I can do this. <laughs> and I am mean, one of the, if not the best overall car and package and team in the entire IndyCar Series paddock, and man, this is this is almost like a transformation beyond Nico Rosberg levels. We think Nico Rosberg has steeled up this year and has become mm. a lot more clinical and gritty. Man, Pagano, I mean, I'm loving some of the aggression in some of his moves. How he just does not mess around. Like when Connor Daly led briefly, it was like Pagano went okay Danny Brennan I know you're enjoying this but nah I'm gonna win another race sorry about that not sorry so it was I think mean, this is real ice car I mean I, I almost want to see him go on and win the Indy 500 now because that'll be some oh, streak because he was so and close last year yeah he was incredibly close last year Penske were probably the dominant team of last year's Indy 500 and well, there's nothing to say he can't I mean his his oval skill has got a lot better in the last few years as well he's not like many guys who come through from straight road racing, um, and has that weakness on the ovals, he's got a lot better now. He's right there, so there's every chance.
1: Yeah, and and Pagano was very strong at the 500 last year. He was right up there. He was in the lead impact for the entirety of the race until the last ten laps, where he clipped his front wing and he ended up limping home in tenth place. But. Uh, his oval speed has always been there. I think he had two oval pole positions last year. So the oval speed is most definitely there with Pagano. And if he if he can just learn to race in a pack, he's going to be landslide favorite for the 500 here, King.
2: Yeah, he's going to be landslide favorite. Like, if he were to win, what, he'd be the first French-born winner of the race since Gaston Chevrolet in 1920. Like... For there to be, like, a foreign-born driver from Europe win the Indianapolis 500 would be a big deal, especially if it's a European driver not from the UK.
1: Yeah, and, uh... It, it, it would be ridiculous. And uh, to, to win the 100th Indy 500 would be also just... that. That's one that no, no one's ever going to take that away from me. That that's, that's a landmark one right there, which is if the Indy 500 isn't already landmark enough as it is, quite frankly, but, uh... Yeah, so Pagino takes his third straight win in, in, in near-dominant fashion. He, he was just the fastest man. And it, it was terrifying when um, the pit crews were talking about how Pagano was literally still in fuel conservation mode at the end, and he was still the second fastest man on track. Only Alexander Rossi <laughs> was going faster at the end, apparently. But even so, he was still going at about 80% essentially and he was still pulling away from Helio Castroneves in second place So seemed to get the mother of all good breaks there because he was... He was languishing in the midfield there until um, a late caution. I think like who was it that, that, that did not finish? I think it was Alex Tagliani's car. I want to say that the stopped working and that brought out a caution. It was almost like one of those like last car star competition cautions. <laughs> that uh, Tagliani's car was just you know just died in the middle of the of the track like that. And next thing you know, it, it brought out they brought out the. Uh, the caution flag and the next thing you know Helio's in second and Connor Daly is leading the race Johnson and uh, I don't think you saw it at the time so I think you were busy watching Eurovision from what I, from what I remember <laughs> un- un- unfortunately you, you betrayer
0: uh, <laughs> but King how hype was Twitter during Daly leading the race <laughs> it exploded well, I'll put it this way before you say anything King I was correct I was in a bar rather refreshed indeed watching Eurovision yeah, I, mean, I, I make no shame about that even the most of <laughs> they really were. Um, <laughs> it was the Stockholm screw job in full effect. But um, to put it this way, I was on my, I have two Twitter accounts. I have one where it's like specifically non-racing because, you know, even the biggest motorsport, uh, people involved in the motorsport game need a break from it sometimes. I mean, seriously, we can't like, I, I love how like, uh, Dre gets requested like oh can you watch and cover DTM on the podcast can you do this can you do that and Dre's like no I struggle to follow the series we talk about already please don't do this to me <laughs> so, you need, like sometimes you need a break from it so like I was enjoying Eurovision Saturday night Somebody and I have it. a separate Twitter account for like non motorsport just for my personal Rambling and and all sorts of bollocks, really. And basically, I started getting tweets from people who follow me on my regular Twitter, AJ underscore sports going like, "Sod Eurovision," Connor Daly's leading the IndyCar, and I'm like, "How the hell? Motorsports managed to crash my personal Twitter account. I'm supposed to be trying to make more Motorsport for the evening, but hey, what? Wait, what? No, Connor Daly's leading. Okay, I'll pay this some attention." there there was no escape from Motorsport Twitter during
1: this occasion as a internet darling Connor Daly led I think it was a good 14 laps of the race um Essentially, as, as, as um, obviously as the safety car shaked out, Daly, who had, I think, gone I think, two or three laps less than the rest of the field, pitting off sequence, was now at the lead of the pack, and he was pulling away for a good part as well. He was actually gapping the other guys, but we found out he was burning his push to passes in order to do it, and by the time the rest of the field had caught back up, Daly was out of P2P's, and next thing you know, uh, he sinks down the order, but he's still finished in a very respectable sixth place which I think is the highest finish of any rookie so far this season um, beating Max Chilton's seventh place in Phoenix earlier in the year so a brilliant brilliant job from a alien he was one of many midfield stories that uh yeah, that that seem to take a lot of the, they take a lot of the shine to to the race as well. And I think one I want to mention, King, is James Hinchcliffe, and uh, yes, he he is the people's champion. We we all love the mayor of Hinchtown himself, and uh, almost a year to the day. After his near fatal accident at Indianapolis, um, how wonderful was it to see him back on the podium in third place as Top Honda as well?
2: <laughs> yeah, Top Honda. Uh, it was surprising to see a Honda on the podium, nonetheless. And I mean, oh, uh, Honda struggled out there. I mean, him, Alex Rossi was also pretty quick out there. Gave ran Will Power right off the road.
1: That was brilliant, like Ross- <laughs> Rossi's legitimately cracked willpower. That was fantastic. <laughs>
0: Oh, that was a magic moment. I love that. It was almost like, oh, Will Power's not going to be pressurized by a rookie to the series. He's he's got lots of experience. Oh no, wait, he's fallen off. Okay, <laughs> I, I guess Rossi did get, get to him he's there. He's in the
1: grass and he spun it. And this is like this is one. Of, this is arguably Will Power's strongest track. Like he he is he is very very fast around Indianapolis, but it just it just didn't come together for him this weekend. But even so, King, I mean, back to Hinch for a minute. I mean, holy crap, third place. Yeah, third
2: place, <laughs> third place. I mean. Hinch is strong, but I, to, just to see him be so quick throughout the entire race and keep his nose out of incidents, unlike, <laughs> unlike Will Power, uh, Hinch was spectacular. I, hopefully it translates well to the Oval for qualifying this weekend and the 500 next weekend to see what he can really do out there, because it seems like his car definitely has has the power.
1: Yeah, exactly, and uh, wonderful to see, and and uh, a, a truly honourable gesture from from Hinch, as he said he was going to donate his uh, race win, his race win prize money to I think it was the Fort McMurray uh, fires because they, they, they've they've been going through some awful um, wildlife fires. Um, the last couple of weeks of, of, up there in Canada, I know there's a lot of people that have rallied around to raise funds like Kevin Steen, um, the professional wrestler in the WWE has done that. I know Hinch is donating his money and uh, very cool did his team and owners are going to match that donation as well, which is fantastic to hear yeah, as well. Like,
2: If you don't know how terrible these fires are, like mm. if these fires took place in New York City, about like 80% of the city would be gone
1: yeah it's it's been absolutely horrendous and uh, i know i have friends out there that uh, have been affected there they're in they're in other families houses right now or theirs have been severely f- damaged by the fire so I will, I will put a link to to the relief fund in in the podcast as well as i feel like i i should do something to help as well and uh yeah, just an awful, awful tragedy that's been going up there in Canada and uh, if, if you can spare a little bit, please do, that would be a, a, a wonderful gesture but uh, congrats to Hinch on a fantastic podium a, a year on from Indianapolis last year and uh, a, a nice reminder that he, like, Hinch has, has had some really great form he's now in the top 10 in the championship, he's gotten better every single race and um, I think the accident and the health program he's gone through to get himself back in the car has humanly made him a better driver and that's a scary four given hint was already pretty darn good in the first place but uh moving on i want to mention johns as well uh the animal graham rayhall who had to start from the back of the field after uh, his car was deemed underweight in qualifying and was disqualified back of the field to fourth place holy crap graham rayhall everybody <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i almost feel like it was a deliberate ploy like there was actually nothing wrong with his car but they were like uh, you know what, it's just fun to watch Graham Rahal charge through the field. Graham, uh, you, you, your car's illegal, you've got to start at the back. What? Yeah, just just get on and pass a load of guys, that's what you'll do. And then Rahal, just with a helmet full of rage and salt, just piled through the field. This is, I mean, it's Rahal at his best, we love him for it. He's just, like, he is thrill a minute, and one of the main reasons I'd advocate watching uh, IndyCar, just on his own, um, he is a spectacular driver and... It was the sort of performance that, you know, he could produce. Many other people would probably, you know, let themselves get, you know, browbeaten and sort of say, oh, well, you know what, we're going to have to get what we can get here. You know, just like see if we can bring it home safe and try and maybe get some points here. But for Rail, no, it's it's win or bust. Doesn't matter where he's starting great performance what else can you say just yeah. exceptional
1: nice nice little benefit of, of the off-sequence pit but even so we all know what Ray Hall like he's an incredibly aggressive driver likes taking his opportunities when he can get them and he had a great scrap with Daly as well for a good while as well and a uh, little bit of bad blood in the air after what happened um, over in Barber uh, a week before where uh, Daly's blue, ignorance of blue flags <laughs> pissed him off a little bit but uh, nice to see a little blood feud between those guys as well right in the quick running order of the race itself Pagino with the win Helio Castroneves in second so another one-two for Penske their second of the season ahead of James Hinchcliffe on the podium in third Graham Rahal in fourth um, starting from 24th on the grid Great result from Graham Rayhold there. Charlie Kimball in fifth place. A nice result for him in that Kimball's been very quiet, but very consistent all season long. He's not finished any race lower than 12th. His, his results are 10th, 12th, 11th, 9th, and now 5th. A nice top five for him there in Indianapolis. Nice to see Kimball up the front there these, as uh, one of these stronger Chip Ganassi cars on the weekend. Uh, ahead of Quanadeli in sixth, as he mentioned earlier. Scott Dixon in seventh, ahead of Montoya in eighth. Uh, Ryan Hunter, Ray in ninth, and another rookie, Alexander Rossi, rounding off the top 10. Simon Pagenaud now has a 76-point lead in the championship. He has nearly, he has over one race, over a race in hand already and we're only five rounds into the championship. And it's double points at, Ind- at the Indy 500 next time out. That's going to be terrifying. Pajano number 242, Scott Dixon in second on 166, who's not been particularly impressive this season, but again, it's, th- it's those consistent results that get him up there. Ed of Montoya in third with 160, then Castro Neves with 159, Graham Rahal with 133. Then it's very, very close in the other in the bottom half of the top 10 here. Uh, we have Canon and Kimball level on 100. 11 points, he was unfortunately taken out by uh, a chop-blocking Dixon going into... Did you see that, King? Dixon like, chopped his own man off there going into turn one, and then Canon and Bourday are in the wall together. Did you see that one, King? Where's he gone? <laughs> oh, hang on. King's having a silent protest for Sebastian Bourday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, having a, he's having a silent protest in, in, in honour of Sebastian, Sebastian uh
0: my, my internet decided to have, like, a, a a brief arrest for a moment <laughs> so to be honest I'm, I'm amazed that we're all managing to hold up because you know king's internet is hanging on at the moment afc Wimbledon are dead level in their playoff semi-final so i just i can't at this point in time like dray keeps asking me questions and i'm like i'm sorry what we're still talking about racing i can't <laughs> yeah didn't by I- the time this podcast goes out you will know the result don't worry we'll be finished in like 10 minutes hopefully so like, we, we can get back
1: to your beloved football match for frig's sake
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah as we mentioned yeah kimball in 7th of 111 then hinchcliffe on 110 hunter ray on 109 and then willpower rounding off the top 10 with 105 with sato on 102 and Newgarden, who's really struggling down there with just 100 points as well but uh, king i believe you have some breaking news for us
2: Yes, I have some breaking news out out of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, In a conversation with Racer Magazine, the leading motorsports magazine here in the United States, the president of competition at IndyCar, Jay Fry, has revealed that the series is evaluating opening opening up areas of the DW12 for basically open development for the teams, where the teams can do whatever they want to the car. Whoa, that's... That's massive. That
0: runs very counter to what we've heard so far, which appears to be that they're moving in the direction of going back to a spec aero kit for next year. That's very puzzling.
1: Yes. That is very bizarre because, like, if there's one big criticism I've heard about the series this year, it's that Honda have had to play catch-up to Chevrolet all season long. And opening up development could work both ways, I'm sure. But, like, I can't help but look at this and just go, huh? Like... Uh, I mean, King, what's your take on this? Because I, I, I'm, I'm still you know, contemplating the foyer, but the general impression I get here is, is that this could work beautifully with Honda playing catch-up, but it could also backfire here quite badly. <laughs>
2: um, I would say, like, under this situation, Honda wouldn't be able to catch up because Honda wouldn't exist anymore. Honda would just be an engine manufacturer. This would allow, like, Andretti to come up with their own package to catch up. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, that's, yes, that's interesting. Because,
1: like, like, Andretti's really struggled this season for the most part so far, and we saw it again here. There's uh, only one Andretti in the top ten, um, but uh, it would be interesting. I mean, I'm not sure if we want a more predictable IndyCar, but at the same time, it it could easily put to rest a lot of the drivers' complaining especially on the Honda camp regarding performance issues and whatnot, couldn't it?
2: Yes, even though like man, like director of Ganassi Racing, Mike Hull, he's a bit skeptical about it because he feels like some of the potential to save money with spec with uh, spec parts goes away yes. if all the teams have to start using their own parts or essentially choose to fall behind by using the spec parts that they buy with the car.
1: Yeah, like that, that, that's 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 the feeling I get. Um, that could definitely be interesting at least, but. Uh... Whew, I mean, that that's pretty crazy as a development story goes. Um, but uh, yeah, that's I'm sure as more will come out, we'll probably talk about this at much greater depth next week, more than likely. Um, but just before we go, one more IndyCar story to mention, King. And uh, the Indy 500 entry list came out, I think it was a couple of days ago, um, as obviously as the testing for the 500 started this week. But uh, also on top of that, one interesting name was not there, and it was Grace Autosports and uh, um, racermagazine.com talked about this yesterday. And the headline is IndyCar Grace suspends Indy 500 plans. And uh, I'll read a part of the article out here. So shout out to Mark Glendenion over there at um, Racer Magazine. He says, Grace Autosport was confirmed that it will not make an attempt to contest year's Indy 500. The Beth Peretta-led team overcame numerous setbacks in its attempt to pull a program together to run Catherine Leg, And by late last week, it had all of the pieces in place except for a chassis. However, in a statement released by the team on Wednesday morning, Peretta said that all avenues for a viable car have been exhausted exhausted. And I quote, We met with many teams in the IndyCar paddock late last season to determine partnership feasibility and discovered numerous teams had chosen to scale back their plans for 2016, said Peretta. We were ready to announce a team partnership for the Indy 500 at the Grand Prix of Long Beach in mid April, but a change in, t- in terms proved unsound for Grace's sponsor patterns, or partners, I should say, and unfortunately we had to step away from the deal. But the consolidation of teams and the decrease of entries in 2016 has reduced the available options for us. Our partner spoke with Dalaro about buying a new car after Long Beach, but there wasn't a current 2016 car available in time for the 500. We evaluated an available chassis as late as last week, but there wasn't enough time to acquire all the needed parts to rebuild the car safely. Because of this sequence of events, we will not campaign a car in this year's Indy 500. Now, they do still want to race... I think next year, at least, they're not giving up on the project entirely. They still want to be active, and they're looking to give Leg an opportunity at some point. But she's actually making her LMP2 debut um, at the Ims around the Belle Isle the following weekend instead. But uh, King, a bit of a bummer there because... um, you know, there was a lot of support for this for this all-female team, and uh, it would have been you know a, a cool little girl power moment there. I think for for an all-female team to be in the 500, but that's, bit, that's kind of a bummer. You don't, you don't ever want to see teams you know try and then not make it, obviously.
2: Yeah, I'm, it, it's the nature of doing a one-off event like the Indy 500 because when you're trying to set up an attempt to make an attempt at the Indy 500 to just hopefully qualify for the race. Essentially, you have to have some faith in the other teams that they have the equipment to lend you for that month because you don't want to go to delara the the original equipment manufacturer and buy a dW12 off the shelf because that's that's not you know cost effective you're buying a car to maybe use for qualifying, and that's it mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean it's, it's not the entry down to thirty-three runners for the race, but that also means that everyone that sets a time will be in. There is no essential pre-qualifying like we had last year. I think, we, I think there was thirty-six people that attempted to attempted last year, and only thirty-three yeah. spots, something like that. I think there's three, yes. something like that. So yeah. Um, so uh, the full interest is up on IndyCar's website shout out to Townsend Bell my fellow flat cap uh, aficionado there I wish him well as I always do every year with Townsend Bell the man the myth the flat cap legend but uh, that will just about do it for this bumper edition of Motorsport 101 just before we go Lewis I know you're still with us at least I hope you yeah. are <laughs> <laughs> tell us a little bit more about my life before we go and obviously where they can where they can find you
3: <laughs> uh, they can find us uh, every Friday night at 8pm on uh, Downforce Radio Downforce Radio.co.uk is the best place to find it, or on Spreaker, search for Downforce Radio, and you can find us. Um, yeah, Bike Live, we talk all things motorbikes. Myself, Dre, and Rebecca James, uh, every Friday night. Uh, this week, uh, that's Friday the twentieth of May. Uh, make sure you're with us because we have the Moto Three Championship leader, uh, and Ryan King will be listening to this one because it's the hero of KTM, Brad Binder, who joins us on the show. So make sure you're with us for that. But we're live every Friday night.
1: Woo! Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, it has to be. It has to be listened to to be believed. Quite frankly, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, obviously, you can follow the rest of us on Twitter. You can follow Lewis on Twitter at LewisSunderby23. That's with an O U I S, like Louis Farrugue spelling. And like, I've made that mistake myself the very first time. <laughs> we did. I'm not proud yeah, of that. Yeah, one knows. It's just. One of those. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one, but yeah, <laughs> that, that, that's LewisSunderby23 on Twitter. If you want to find Lewis on Twitter, you can follow him. Um, he's bound to have a about 17 hot attacks with Hull City in the championship playoff final. That should be fun. Yeah. Um, but, but in the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Harrison11HD. You've got Adam at AJ underscore Sports, and you have Ryan Eric King at Ryan Eric King. With, uh, that's with two Ks, by the way, as, as always. Uh, we'll be back next week as ever as we start our rundown towards our 50th episode. We've got big plans for that coming soon, trust me. Um, but until then... and and so obviously massive thanks to Lewis for coming in uh, the first ever four way episode of the podcast as well very glad to have him on Fatal four way yes um, I'm sure there's a joke there somewhere but (laughs) uh, (laughs) from me from Lewis from Ryan and from Adam thank you very much for watching and we'll catch you guys next time sayonara
2: I really- you are the world champion!
0: Right, Dre, I just got a call from my lawyer during that show. Ron Judge Rinder next week. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> what for? I'm, oh, take, I'm taking you to call, call man. Up against the Italians. <laughs> for harassment over the.
2: Uh... <laughs> it's like, oh my oh, god. god. <laughs>